there is a growing recognition within Australia of the need for improved awareness, education, diagnosis, treatment and research into um, endo and associated chronic pelvic pain. The National Action Plan for Endo, the National Action Plan, emerges from the combined efforts of patients, advocacy groups, clinicians, researchers and parliamentarians to have endo acknowledged as a chronic condition (coughs) and a substantial health burden in Australia. The Turnbull government announced the development of the National Action Plan in December 2017. Just a bit of background to the disease. Endo, which is an abnormal growth of cells that form in the lining of the uterus, and some of these cells may, instead of being expelled from the body, they tend, um, or during menstruation, they may end up continuing their cycle elsewhere in the body. They have no way of leaving the body, so the material beads up and may attach itself to other organs in the lower abdomen, such as ovaries and bowel, where they can cause a host of issues. <clears throat> and uh, it does produce uh, various different symptoms, including, including incapacitating pain in the uterus, lower back and organs in the pelvic cavity prior to and during a menses, intermittent pain throughout the menstrual cycle, painful intercourse, and women can experience excessive bleeding, including the passage of large, large clots and treads of tissue during the menses. Nausea, vomiting and constipation are very common due to weak pelvic muscles. And, um, but it doesn't end there, actually. There can also be pain when urinating, heavy bleeding, and, uh, which can lead to iron-deficient anemia and sometimes even infertility. Infertility is where, actually, um, the investigations tend to... Uh, 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 or the possibility of the causes, and often the endo is diagnosed um, there. <clears throat> Previously, a lack of awareness in our community has led to late diagnosis, mistreatment, opportunities, loss of jobs, lost uh, productivity, loss of daily functioning, and even suicide and death for women expend- um, experiencing endo. So um, we're so excited to feature Dr. Andrew Orr on the show tonight, The Wellness Couch, a women's reproductive health specialist who knows all about endo and uh, period pain. Andrew, you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. It's fantastic, a fantastic. Here. It's an honour to have you on tonight. Um, so just um, let's go into a bit about yourself. Awesome. <laughs> what would you like to know? <laughs> so um, you're one of Australia's leading healthcare practitioners with over 20 years of experience in ass- assisting reproductive issues, women's health, uh, medicine issues, pregnancy and many other health complaints. You're very popular. So tell me about your quals, your degrees that... Yeah. Uh, well, I started out my life as, um, well, I've done many things. I've done food science. I was actually, I'm actually a qualified chef as well. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> and uh, through my own health journey, um, I actually got into um, looking into healthcare. And um, yeah, so I started down the road of looking at medicine and then I looked into Chinese medicine and, you know, um, acupuncture and and then naturopathy and nutrition. And then I came back around um, uh, and looked into the medical side of it. And um, I have a master's in reproductive medicine and a master's in women's health medicine through the Faculty of Medicine at UNSW. Yes, they're quite qualified. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just over the years, I've, um, I've been learning and it's all about what I can do to have that sort of multi-modality approach because when I was unwell I found that it wasn't just one thing that helped me it was many things and that's what I try and teach now to combine the medical and the complementary medicines and you know diet lifestyle everything together because that's what the old model of care used to be and um, yeah so that's what I provide. 
Great. So um, you do run a successful clinic in uh, in Brisbane, actually Spring Hill. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, you also um, run a herbal medicine nutritional supplement company, Conception. <laughs> that's exactly unbelievably right. busy. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm busy. So um, yeah, the herbal medicine side is a practitioner only company, and um, so we um, it's um, supplements and herbal medicines and things like that that um, that practitioners can buy, and then they will then use that to help people. Okay, so why we have you on tonight? So you obviously care about women having a voice for the health, and um, you want to make sure that we do end the silence on disease states such as endometriosis. Um, and you do give uh, your time actively, don't you, in education awareness of um, endometriosis and PCOS and many other women's health and reproductive issues? Yeah, it's something that I'm very passionate about um, and I do give a lot of time um, to various causes and then even myself. Um, but it, you hear the stories every day and there's still a lot of women that aren't diagnosed and, you know, it can take up to 10 years or more um, to be diagnosed with some of these women and I always use the word missed and dismissed a lot and a lot of them are. And Why I such just, a long time? Um, a lack of awareness, a lack of understanding so the people that they're seeing don't understand the disease um, and, you know, that usually the first port of call is probably, you know, their GP and, and this is not a go at GPs no. or anything because... Um, they do an amazing job, but it's not their area. And then, you know, just like any other modality, they probably only do one section in their medical course on um, gynecology. Or specialising, yeah. Yeah, so they don't know. But, you know, there is enough awareness, there is enough information out there for medicos to access. But these days with big clinics and time, you know, time constraints, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> they... Um, they just don't have the time to pick it up, but what they should be doing is referring on. But then we also have specialists that people are seeing that it isn't their area either. So the main thing I'm trying to teach people is you need to see the right person. That's right, yeah. The right, and get a referral to a specialist as yeah. possible. So being a women's um, re- reproductive health specialist, when do you suspect that a female may have endometriosis? And what symptoms do you often see that suggest it's time for further investigations? Look, I'm always about early intervention and early intervention is the key to any disease and a lot of the symptoms that women present with um, are often seen when they first get their menses. So we know that teenagers aren't too young to have endometriosis. That's amazing. How early have you seen uh, Um, women Well, it's been noted that um, young girls as young as seven have um, had endometriosis. Young as seven? Yeah, just accidentally probably, you know, had um, thought to be suspected appendicitis or something like that. They've gone in and, you know, keyhole surgery and then they find it. So so uh, all the symptoms there, like obviously do they have, do they have periods at that time at seven? Normally from eight, there's a possibility that uh, girls can... Well, there there is that possibility that we are seeing girls younger and younger having their menses, you know, younger and younger, but... What we know about the disease is the disease can be there a lot longer than before you get your period. And the problem right. is for every woman, you know, on this planet from a very young age, they're told that period pain is normal. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? Mm. 
And the one thing I try and get through to women as a whole is that period pain is not normal. It is not normal. If you're in pain, you need to do something about so it. So is that, is that just a little bit of pain? You know, like I've had women come to me too and they, they've gone to other practitioners and say, no, that, that's okay. A little bit of pain is okay. It depends on how bad it is. If you're backbending, mm-hmm. um, then you should be concerned. Is that true? No, yes and no. I mean, a, a tiny bit of, when we're talking um, discomfort, like um, maybe just a little bit of heaviness and that sort of little bit of an uncomfortable, bloaty kind of feeling, that could be normal. But pain, if you have to take medications or you're in pain, so there's a difference between pain and, you know, that distension. Yeah. Um, if you're in pain, that should that is not normal. And the interesting part about endometriosis is that while we hear about the women, you know, that are in pain, a significant portion of women with endometriosis are asymptomatic, so they don't even know that they have it until they... So that's no symptoms. baby or something. No, no symptoms at all. So um, when do you suggest it's time for further investigations? What type of symptoms do you actually see that would cause uh, you to further investigate? Yeah, well, the, the period pain is definitely the first one. So heavy, painful periods, um, although, you know, heavy periods could also be adenomyosis which is pretty much assisted to endometriosis but it's just deeper infiltrating um, ovulation pain um, while we'll have you know the normal thing that we call ovulation pain that should be more like a sort of a, a flutter you know rather than pain so you, and then we get the bowel and bladder issues and then IBS so whenever I hear a woman come in <coughs> my practice and say they've got irritable bowel syndrome I'm always yeah, amazing. Um, and look, 90, 95% of the time um, when I see someone for IBS, they actually have endometriosis. Um, and the distension is amazing too, isn't it? Like they can go from a flat stomach to looking very pregnant, like nine months pregnant within a space of a few days. This is exactly it. And it's not even a space of a few days. No. It can be in a few hours. I just did a story with uh, um, the Endometriosis Australia Ambassador, um, Mel Gregg, and she posted in what they call endo belly, and everyone mm. with endo knows that to be called endo belly. Um, you know, her stomach, she looks like nine months pregnant, and then an hour later, it's back flat again. Back to normal, yeah. Yeah. So, um, like you said, painful periods, painful urination. We can get lowered immune defences, sore lower back and shoulders, intestinal pain, mood yep. swings are normal, heavy, irregular periods. And particularly, do, do you say with stringy blood clotting? Do you see that? Would you say the stringy blood clotting? Yeah, any sort of dark clotted menstrual blood, um, that can be it as well. You know, the the menstrual flow really should be a nice red consistency, no clotting, you know. Um, I mean, some tissue in there, the, the, the lining is shedding, but those big clots, you know, and some women get them from rice grain right up to a 50 cent peak. Yeah, and so even bigger, and <laughs> even bigger. I've and even bigger, yes, yeah. they can. They can have them even bigger. And um, the, the curious one or the uncommon one, some form of leg pain as well. Yeah, look, a lot of with women with endometriosis will get that referral pain and, uh, down their legs and that leg pain. And um, a lot of them also um, will have those fibromyalgia kind of symptoms. Mm. Um, recurrent UTI-like symptoms. So That's we'll amazing. see women come in and say, look, I've got a UTI again and you'll go and test the urine. There's, there's nothing you know, there's no bacteria, there's no infection. That's endo. And the vagin- uh, vaginal yeast infections too that don't can go away. More, <laughs> yeah, it can be more prevalent. 
um, in um, women with endometriosis. Um, and the eczema, and like you said, the food sensitivities like IBS is a common yeah. one too that uh, triggers a suspicion to me- medically investigate further. And this, I think, is where the problem is that a lot of women would come in first because they get a lot of the abdominal symptoms. So they, they go to the GP and say, I've got abdominal symptoms. So the GPs will go straight to, oh, we need to see a gastrologist or something like that. If someone would just sit down and go through, well, while we're here, let's ask you how your period is. I think a lot of these women would stop being missed and dismissed and this is where we need to go even further and, and have a set criteria and go, you know, mm. have they got period pain? What's their menstrual cycle like? Um, do they get this? You know, do they have pain on bowel movement? Are they fatigued? Are they anemic? Do they have clotting? Um, are yeah, they great. bleeding from the bowel or is great. there heavy vaginal bleeding? Yeah, fantastic. A bit more education, I'd say. So considering there's 40 to 50% of women who now report with fertility issues, as you know, yeah. How many of these individuals uh, could possibly have endometriosis? <laughs> <laughs> How many do you see? Well, look, this is the this is the million dollar question. Look, we know that the facts around endo that not everyone with endo will um, have infertility, but we also know that those that do have endometriosis, women with endometriosis, are probably fifty percent more likely to have trouble conceiving, and that makes it hard. So we say that there's one in ten women are diagnosed with the disease. Now, if one in 10 are diagnosed and it takes up to 10, you know, even some women's 20 years to be diagnosed, I actually think those figures are very skewed. I think there's probably more like 50% of women have endometriosis and the the figures are rising. And there has been some research to say that nearly all women have endometriosis, whether the disease is expressed or not is another story. Yeah. Do you find there's a familial history? Oh, there's definitely a familiar... um, So we see it come through families. And, you know, we'd like to say blame mum or mum's side of the family, but it can come through dad's side of the family. So you ask dad, you know, how... What was your mum like? Oh, mum had terrible... Oh, my sister had terrible periods. Oh, and... um, Or it'd be the other way. And um, these families that don't tell, you know, their daughters and that, um, that they had it and... Or, you know, suck it up, it's just normal, and, it, and it's That's not. That's amazing, no. Mm. So um, what's the best and, and probably only way uh, to check for endometriosis? <laughs> well, the definitive diagnosis um, is via a laparoscopy mm. and um, histology. And um, look, the, you know, blood blood tests and ultrasound. Can you just, sorry, can you just explain to our listeners what that is? It's <laughs> going yes. inside, yeah. Yeah, so a laparoscopy is keyhole surgery. So um, a laparoscope is uh, basically inserted uh, through the belly button and then there can be small um, ports on the side depending on how much um, endometriosis is found. There might be one, two, three ports. So there's another couple of laparoscopes put in the belly. Mm. Um, And that gives you a definitive diagnosis because you can actually visually see it and allows you to look behind organs. And then you take a small biopsy um, and send it away um, to be tested. That's called histology. Um, And this is why, you know, ultrasounds and blood tests and things like that won't won't diagnose. No, no. Look, I've got... um, um, It's fantastic that the National Action Plan came out. I've got stories of medical practitioners dismissing, misdiagnosing or cluelessly shrugging at women's pain. 
Yep. Um, and that's unfortunately nothing new, right? But um, in fact, women being dismissed with statements such as you'll be fine, go and take a Panadol, has led women to believe that period pain is something that we naturally endure as a female populace. Yep. Um, in fact, I've had a few female text me that I'll, I'll just let you, um, I'll, I'll read this out to you in yep. response to our talk tonight, just to sample what women go through in relation to um, endometriosis. I've got Leah, and this mm. is what she says on her choice to have a hysterectomy at age 31 to end her struggle with what she understood to be endometriosis. I have had to work so hard to have my pain acknowledged. And while I have been battling endo um, for, a, for a decade, this will be my ninth surgical procedure, her ninth. And no doctor has ever confirmed this for me. She states that after she wakes up in the recovery room, the doctors are eager to tell her she, she was right. Her uterus is worse than anyone could have Im- imagined. Now, I had Corrie yesterday text me, and wanting to share her story in the hope it may help other women. And Corrie says that after seeing my GP regarding heavy clotting and menstruating every 21 days, she suggested the pill may help. And she said, this was not for me at all. I successfully conceived three times. So I saw a surgeon who checked me out and immediately booked me in for surgery. This was nearly two years ago. I am now 46 and finished having babies. I had my uterus removed Heaps of polyps, torn walls, endometriosis, and I was not aware of it. Big cyst on my ovary and smaller cyst on my fallopian tube. Right side was healthy and intact. Cervic wall collapsed and fixed. Was not aware of any other uh, major issues. I only thought I had blood clots and irregular periods. I thought menopause was starting. I'm all good now, but please stay vigilant. Um, So allopathic medicine will suggest in many presentations that the individual is best to have a hysterectomy to cure disease. Um, is this the end result with endometriosis? No. Look, this is something we need to get mm. the information out there. And yes. I think this is what all women need to know. And unfortunately, those stories from Corey and Lena are very, very, very common. Yeah, and that's why I thought uh, I'd, I'd make them known. Yeah, so the one thing I want women to know is that um, a hysterectomy will not cure endometriosis. Thank you. <laughs> Now, it will help with the sister to endo, which is called adenomyosis. Mm-hmm. So adenomyosis is confined just to the uterine environment itself, deep within the tissues. So taking the uterus away will take um, adenomyosis out of the picture. And a lot of women have adenomyosis and endometriosis together. So they, a lot Can you of just explain, inter- sorry, what that yeah. is? It's more of a tumour, isn't it, like in the muscular wall? Yeah, so they, they believe now that um, endometriosis and adenomyosis are pretty much one in the same disease, um, except that adenomyosis is deep within the, the, in the uterine lining, so you can't see it. Whereas <coughs> we do have deep infiltrating endo too, but endometriosis is more superficial and is found outside the uterus, so it's found... Um, in the pelvic cavity, on the uterosacral ligaments, on the bowel, it can be found on the bladder. Um, it can be found anywhere in the body. Um, you know, Donna Chichia that runs um, endometriosis. Yeah, Australia. Australia. She's got pericardial <clears throat> um, endometriosis. Wow. So it's up around the heart, um, on a liver. What type of symptoms would you get there? Um, well, a lot of um, symptoms around, um, well, heart, like pretty similar to heart disease. Yeah. So um, it's a pretty brave, um, I suppose, specialist that's gone, well, she's got it here, it looks like it's spread, and then that's traveled got that a cardiologist far. involved and things like that, yeah. That's amazing, travels that far. Yeah, so these women will go and have a hysterectomy and thinking that their endometriosis is gone, 
But the problem is, they, uh, a lot of them, all the symptoms come back and then they believe, well, it must be in my head because I had a hysterectomy, oh. now my endo's gone. Yeah. No, your uterus is gone, your adenomyosis may have gone, um, but you still have endometriosis and that endometriosis is still in your pelvic cavity. Um, or it could be still on your bowels or your bladder, or it could be in your brain or in your joint. In the brain, that far. Yeah, they've found it in every part of the body. Little traveller? Yeah, it travels all right. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about women's menstruation. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation that confuses women what a normal mensa should be like. Yeah. Um, I say it day to day. Dysmenorrhea is a medical term for pain with menstruation. Yeah. Um, and there are two types of dysmenorrhea, primary and secondary. Primary is common, mental cramps that are recurrent, um, and they do not and are not due to other diseases. Um, women who've had normal periods that become painful later in life, they tend to have the secondary dysmenorrhea, a condition that affects the uterus or other pelvic org- organs, such as endo or uterine fibroids that can cause this. Can you describe what a normal menstruation is in terms of bleeding pattern, cycle length and pain? Yeah, sure. And that's the interesting part, you know, <laughs> again, we sort of try and um, nullify pain. And, you know, endometriosis, like I said, it can present very early and sometimes you get the microscopic implants and same with adenomyosis, they before you even see the disease, the disease can be active. So who's to say that, you know, that's the cause of, you know, a lot of dysmenorrhea. So when you're saying microscopic, you're, talk, you're talking about very small, like 0.5 of a centimetre. Yeah, and look, not even seen by the eye. And uh, it's as the disease is actually starting to be expressed and then, you know, um, it can't, the lesions then become active and then um, they bleed and... There's all different colours to endo too. You know, it starts out with white and then it goes from brown, yellow, red, which is, the, which is the red flame lesions. And that's when mm. the lesions are actually bleeding and um, they're inflamed. And then we've got the classic gunpowder burn where it's black and it's been there and it's old. Wow. Yeah. But as far as normal menstrual cycle goes, a normal menstrual cycle should be around about 26 to 32 days. It should be a nice red blood flow, you know, no stopping, no starting, you know, not coming and then stopping for two days and then coming back. It should last, you know, somewhere between between three to five days and then finish. You know, if it goes on too long, we've got women bleeding for seven, ten days and things like that, they can become anemic. Um, it shouldn't have clotting, you shouldn't have pain, you shouldn't have all that abdominal distension. And, and we're talking about no pain, aren't we? We're talking no pain. Distension or... Like you've had a really heavy meal and you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, um, that can be normal because, you know, the <laughs> uterus is about to shed its lining, but pain is not. If you need naprogesics, if you need painkillers or you need a heat wheat pack or some women are lying on the floor vomiting and passed out and they're bleeding from their bowel and their rectum and oh, everywhere, amazing. that's not normal. No, and I want to reiterate that pain during menstruation is not normal. It's not normal, and this is why people like Endometriosis Australia are now putting things up like period pain's not normal. I'm always saying period pain's not normal. And finally, we've got the government to uh, agree that that is going to be part of the the period pain's not normal. Great, fantastic. All right, we'll go back uh, to a break, and we'll be back with um, the theories um, um, of endometriosis that have been postulated um, about the causes. And we'll be back right after this break. You're listening to 3ABR, Apollo Bay Radio. And uh, 
Katerina Morrison, Brett Morrison with Dr. Andrew Orr. Yeah. Okay, no problem. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Yeah, it's great talking to you too. You're listening to 3ABR, and we're with uh, Dr. Andrew Orr, a women's reproductive specialist, and we're talking about endometriosis tonight. Um, Andrew, many theories have been postulated to cause endo. There's been um, the reflux theory where menstruation fluid backs up into fallopian tubes and drops into the peritoneal cavity, um, and the cells implant themselves and they grow there, but it's never been proven. And then you've got uh, that the cells spread to parts of the body through blood and lymphatic channels, and that is in effect a, a congenital condition that you were 
well, one that you're born with. And one that is very concerning and that we can agree on today is that exposure to environmental polychlorinated um, bisphenols, uh, PCBs and dioxins, something we talked about a few weeks ago. Two types of hazardous waste materials can indeed cause spontaneous endo. And this will possibly explain the rising incidence of the condition in the last few decades. Um, As of yet, there isn't an established cause, but are we closer to some theories than others? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think genetics is where they're going to have the best um, possible avenue for looking at a cause, and it's probably more closer than we've ever been. Um, The good old retrograde menses was first postulated because we wanted to know how that, you know, the endo got out into the rest of the body, and... Um, we weren't I very well versed, were we? <laughs> no, and it's a good theory, but the problem is that you know, nearly every woman will get you know retrograde menses at some stage in their life, and not all of them have endo. So how do you explain that? Um, then you know we have people exposed to all sorts of things, and then we've you know got that it's an autoimmune disease and things like that. But you know endo doesn't fit the category of autoimmune either because it doesn't produce autoantibodies. But who's to say that you know in two years' time or ten years' time or whenever, we might find that it does. Um, I don't think anyone's really got the answer, but genetics and, and uh, genetic causes is definitely where it is, and it looks like it's hereditary. And um, it's, it's hard because endometriosis really is normal tissue growing in abnormal areas. Yeah. So... How do you test for normal tissue and things like that going on? But, um, yeah, and we can sort of get into the pollutants and in the estrogens as well because we know... Yeah, I was going to talk about, yeah. Yeah, well, I'll let you talk about no, that. No, 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 you go. I want you to do all the talking. You're the um, reproductive <laughs> medicine specialist. So um, many individuals and, in fact, practitioners believe endo is an event that occurs from estrogen excess. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I'd love to say that it's from, you know, I've heard all the estrogen dominance and estrogen excess. And look, certainly excess estrogens um, will um, exacerbate endometriosis. But we we know that endometriosis is estrogen driven. So even small amounts of it will drive the disease. And unfortunately, you can't rid the body of estrogen for women because you've got two ovaries sitting there and um, your body, you are an estrogenic creature. Um, but excessive estrogens are definitely going to exacerbate and drive the disease. So, and you know, we have lots of environmental estrogens now. Um, yeah, between the environmental pollutants and plastic waste, amazing. And and that's my concern about the incidental rise of endo. Mm. And look, we know that um, there was a study published in 1996 that showed um, it was more on men, but um, how um, estrogens were affecting men. But we, they, at the time, there was 87,000 chemicals um, from plastics preservatives um, that are environmental classes, environmental estrogen. 87,000? 87,000, and that's 1996, so God knows how many we have now. Um, so, you know, plastics is probably one of the big ones, and, um, and then, you know, all the preservatives and you know, we are, and let's not forget the obesity epidemic because excess body fat is also estrogenic. So that's why we call them obestrogens now. So we have to tackle this disease through a multimodality approach because we know that despite the best medical intervention, 
despite surgery, beside, you know, hormones, the pill, um, and, you know, pharmaceutical medications to control pain, women are still suffering. Um, Oh, incredibly so. I mean, they're losing their jobs, they're becoming suicidal, um, incapacitated, aren't they? And and in silence, because they actually look healthy in the face, but they're actually suffering in silence. This is it. And and, um, having, you know, someone in in my family with endo, um, I I know what they go through and and I see it daily with women. So I can very um, relate to what it is. And they do, they suffer in silence. And then you know, add insult to injury. That's right. They walk into it. And it's not just medical practitioners. It's, you know, it's complementary medicine practice. It's it's everyone they see misses them, dismisses them, and then it becomes, oh, "Oh, you're a druggie um, uh, because you're addicted to pain medications or, oh, you look okay and, Mm. you know, watch, oh, she just got period pain and, you know, should suck it up and... It, it's not peri- it's not just period pain. It's far worse than that. I mean, they, it, you know, you, you go to uh, they really should be on disability. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. We we have mental illness, you know, and things like that, and where people are classed as disabled. Well, I can tell you now, when women have an endo flare and um, they're disabled, they oh, are. Just- they, yeah, it's horrible. Well, the National Action Plan, fantastic that they finally recognised you know, that this is a debilitating and incapacitating disease. I mean, was it 180000 that they decided to invest into a Queensland um, university to further educate? Yeah, I can't remember what the um, exact figures were, but... I can tell you, even if it's in the millions, it's not enough. No. That, that won't even produce literature to, you know get us Australia-wide. But it's a start, isn't it, that, that it's been recognised, that it is an issue with women? It, look, it is. It's a start. It's, and it's raising that awareness. And, and But we have to take it further than awareness because you can create all the awareness you like for these women. They're still in pain. What are we going to do for them now? Let's create the awareness, but what are we going to do to help them now? And that's, that's the next step. So first step is awareness, which is fantastic. Next step is create an action plan. And then we've got to help these women. There's got to be practical ways of helping them. And you did say there were a few websites in you that uh, that uh, refer to endometriosis. Was that yeah, Endo endometriosis. Australia? Yeah, Endometriosis Australia is probably one of the biggest ones. We've got Quendo, you know, Queensland Quendo, Endometriosis. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, you know, like Jean Hales on that. But I think Endometriosis Australia is doing probably more for endometriosis yes, than anyone. And it's run by, you know, Donna Chichia and Jason Abbott and some very um, proactive, yeah. proactive individuals. So there's a lot of men, actually, like yeah. myself, that are out there um, trying to help women <laughs> as well because we've got partners with it or um, family with it. And, um, and we don't want to see our patients suffer with it either. No, most definitely. So uh, what are some tips that you can give to our audience in terms of reproductive health, since you're a reproductive health specialist, (laughs) um, and how to prioritise your health when looking to conceive? When looking to conceive, I think the the first thing to remember is that early intervention is the key, and you've got to... Start planning. If you're having, wanting to have a baby, you've got to plan it. You know, twelve months in advance. Mm-hmm. And it, and just, and I'm really big on men um, playing a part because 
men do not have an inherent right to become a father. And look, 50% of fertility issues are related to males now, and um, up to 85% of miscarriage issues can be related to male chromosomal mm-hmm. factors. So men, you know, Biology 101 says it's a sperm and an egg. So you, it's about both of you getting re- a health checkup, getting genetic testing and all kinds of things um, up front and then having healthy lifestyle, get your diet in order, exercise, be fit, lose some weight. Weight is one of the biggest factors behind fertility. Stress. Stress is a big one, yeah. Stress um, um, is huge. We know that a lot of the workers and the people that work have more fertility issues. And don't leave it too late. Um, So when you say that, um, how long should someone, when they're trying to conceive, start looking to be investigated? Are you looking at, talking about six months, 12 months? Look, it depends on the age, um, really. Um, you know, someone in their 20s has got a little bit more time, whereas someone that came in in their 40s, I, I, wouldn't, even, I wouldn't wait. Um, so, you know, maybe six months of trying, um, then you should do some basic testing and um, evaluations, especially some what I would class as basic Fertility testing is very different to what someone else would do. But I would genetically test them and all kinds... Because many of us don't realise we have genetic issues and while we might think we're um, a a genetically chromosomal normal female or male, we actually may not be. Um, And we've seen, you know, there's famous uh, actress like um, Jamie Lee Curtis who's got Kleinfelder syndrome, which is Mm. a male fertility issue. Mm. And she's got it. And it's because she actually has um, atrophied testicles inside her body. She's a female, but um, chromosomally, she's got um, the chromosomes of a male, a male factor. Um, so it's things like that. And then endometriosis can be there. I mean, you wouldn't even know it. Um, and then the guys, you know, the sperm, we know that the male sperm has fallen by up to 70%. Sperm quality has fallen by 70% in the last, you know, 70 years, and it's declining. So there's a lot of things to consider when you want to have a baby. The younger, the better. So is the health of the baby at the start, um, determined by the male sperm? Uh, both. So we know the parental mode of inheritance is passed on to the baby, but it's more, the, there's a lot more studies to show that the health of the father is passed on to the mm-hmm. child. But we also know, look, the health of the mother is passed on, but <laughs> it's... You know, once an egg is fertilised, it's now no longer an egg. It uh, becomes an embryo and it's a byproduct of the male and female. So both those genetics um, pass through. And it's not just lifestyle and diet that's passed through. We also know that the emotional status of the the mother and the father is then passed on to the child. That's amazing, isn't it? There was a DNA study that said it can go down to 14 generations. Absolutely amazing what comes through the DNA. DNA is a big factor and, you know, DNA can be repaired and it can, be, you know, we can influence DNA. Chromosomes, we can't. So, but, you know, like we tell people, healthy, healthy um, females and healthy males produce healthy children. True. But that's not just physical health. That's, you know, emotional health, dietary health, the whole lot. Yeah. Now, you're a wealth of knowledge, obviously, on women's reproductive um, issues. Honestly, you're just like a library. Um, <laughs> seriously, what drew you to um, specialise in reproductive health? Um, 
I, I was doing a lot of work with um, pregnancy and um, I like that area and having gone through, like I said, I went through a health um, scare myself um, where I nearly died myself and then um, I used both, you know, medicine and um, Chinese medicine and naturopathy and all kinds of things to get me back better. Um, and then, you know, doing a lot of herbal medicine to help people as well was very much like cooking and gynecology a big part of it when I was working in hospitals over in China a lot of it was herbal and it was to me it was like cooking again it's amazing and um I suppose it's like anything in life you you get drawn I don't know if it's a calling it's really hard to explain and it's not coming from ego but when you when you find that you're good at a certain thing I don't know you just love it and and you'll fall into it (laughs) and I did and I went from pregnancy to fertility and and then I've, you know, endo and PCOS and all that kind of stuff. So I love it. It's a innate calling for you, definitely. It's a innate yeah. calling for you. All right, we're going to a break. You're listening to 3abr.org, um, Apollo Bay Radio, and we're talking with Dr. Andrew Orr on the Wellness Couch. We'll be back after this break. Beautiful she goes, unnoticed she knows. No limits she craves. Yeah. Attention she praises. That's fine. An image she prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. Oh, she don't see the light that's shining. Deeper than the yeah. eyes can find it. Maybe we have made a blind soul. She tries yeah, sure, to cover that's right. pain and cut her woes away. Cause cover girls don't cry after the face is made. But there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark You should know you're beautiful just the way you are And you don't have to change a thing The world could change its heart No scars, see you're beautiful With stars and we're beautiful oh,
Welcome back to Apollo Bay Radio. You're listening to 87.6 FM and the Wellness Couch with Brett and Katarina Morrison. And tonight we're joined with a special guest, Dr. Andrew Orr, who's a women's reproductive specialist. Andrew, how are you going? It's Brett here, mate. Uh, hey, I'm, g'day, Brett. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. I've been sitting quietly on the other end, just in awe of all the knowledge that you've been sharing with everyone tonight. It's been fantastic. It's great when we actually get someone who really knows their topic and you can just speak so authoritatively on, um, on, on your passion, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is a passion. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've made it a lifelong passion to help women, but you know, help help as many people as I can. Yeah, and like I know you you, you probably are talking about helping women, but you know, you really are helping families because women are normally part of a family as as they go. Especially if you start talking about reproduction, and you know, it's not just the woman that these diseases can actually impact, is it? No, and this is where um, we also have to look at that, you know, while we have women with um, disease states like endometriosis and PCOS, and then, you know, even if we have infertility there, it does affect their partners as well. Yeah. And we need more men to know about these diseases as well and, and become active and um, <coughs> aware and also be compassionate, you know, for those days when women are suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And now just to get a bit more of insight into you and, and I guess a bit more of your background, you mentioned earlier that you know you actually did experience quite a significant illness where you said you, you nearly died and you've used both allopathic medicine and also I guess the traditional Chinese medicine, natural uh, naturopathy and herbal medicine to get you back on track. Um, so it's really, like you said, a multi-modality approach. Could you step us through what a typical day would look like for you? A typical day for me is um, usually seeing lots of people with um, fertility issues or um, usually a lot of people that come in with um, endometriosis or suspected endometriosis yeah. and they can be as young as, you know, um, 11, 12 with wow. that and then we've got the couples that are, you know, experiencing fertility issues and they can range from 20 years right up to, you know, 48, 49. Yep. Is there any special routine? Because I guess, like I, from my background, I do a lot of executive coaching and life coaching. And what I find is that success generally leaves markers. And what I found is that the really successful executives and leaders out there really do have. They start the day with a certain routine, um, whether they're aware of that or not. And that might include meditation or breathing exercises or you know, reading or learning early in the morning. I was just curious, is there anything like that that you actually step through at the start of each of your days? I do. I do prepare for the day. I suppose um, a lot of us do the same. It's sort of like when you walk through that door, um, yeah. especially to work, it's like sw- it's like throwing a switch and the brain activate everything. But um, in the morning, I suppose I get up and I do have a lot of quiet time, like a lot of mindfulness time mm. for myself. Um, I do a little bit of reading and preparing and I, you know, live a pretty healthy life too, um, you know, eat well and I exercise a lot and um, um, try and keep the brain healthy as well. Um, and, you know, I, I tell people, um, you know, go and talk to a coach or a mentor or a counsellor or a psychologist or whatever and, and talk through things as well because brain health is just as important. So mindfulness and meditation is very important for me too. Yeah, I think it's something that's starting to gather momentum to like a lot of um, researchers now starting to go into top flight CEOs and, and business owners and entrepreneurs and 
the whole concept of meditation is starting to move out of the, I guess what some would term the fluffy duck, you know, space yeah. into mainstream and people are going, what, you're not meditating? How can you perform at your best if you're not meditating? <laughs> so, so it's great to see that coming through. And I love when you said you actually talk about, you, you know, the, your brain health. So spending that time of mindfulness and making sure that your brain is healthy. Because I was listening to a, a doctor from the UK speaking a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, people are presenting to his clinic and the disease days probably started 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And he said, even with dementia and Alzheimer's, it's sort of setting in early. So, you know, when you start talking about, you know, people looking after their brain and their brain space, I think that's quite special. Yeah, I think I learnt that from early years. I've done a lot of martial arts in my life as well. And, um, well, what sorts? <laughs> You've triggered it now. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. I did a lot of kung fu, but I'm also... Um, I've got up to master status in um, a Filipino martial art called wow. Arnie Screamer, and I was taught Ooh. by a, a 75-year-old grandmaster. Um, yep. used to do one-on-one, um, Carlos Navarro, and um, yeah, so he, you know, trained a lot of the early pioneers in in uh, Screamer, um, Dan Inosanto and yep. stuff like that, that, you know, been alongside Bruce Lee, and so, yeah, I've that, but um, yeah, there's not to me a screamer clubs around, is there? No, there isn't. There's not. Um, it's a, it's not that many. And but I did Wing Chun Kung Fu when I. I was going to ask no. that whether you did Tong Long or Wing wow. Chun up in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, <laughs> Wing Chun Kung Fu. So, um, which I I like, and um, yeah, so I I like the the more softer part, and you know, and that led into Tai Chi. Yeah, and I found actually, look, I incorporated the Tai Chi into. The um, Japanese styles that I, I've learned over the years, and it's amazing to get the power and feel, I guess, the strength that comes through the softness of understanding yeah. Tai Chi. Yeah, this is it, and I think as um, it doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're a um, straight medical doctor or you're a natural medicine practitioner or a Chinese medicine or Japanese, um, we're all healing people in one way, shape, or form, and. I think, um, you know, that's one thing I learned. You've got to keep your energy up and you've got to keep yeah. you, you've got to keep that inner strength up to, to help people. Otherwise, you, you just won't be able to do it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I know the two, I guess, main Tai Chi teachers that I've, I've learned from have both been TCM doctors. So they've both been traditional Chinese medicine guys as well. So it's just been mm. really good. So... I am getting the wrap-up signal at me here. We've just gone down a rabbit hole. Um, so when you look at, um, I guess, the journey of your life and, and the healing process, what's, some of the be- what's the best advice that you've been given? Um, best advice that I've been given is uh, take every, you know, you're in the here and now um, yeah. and live, live your life and have fun, uh, laugh, good friends, oh, great. Yeah. family, um, and you know, and 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 love hard, they say. And uh, but I think laughter—you've got to laugh. Um, mm. And I'm always telling people, my patients is relax and don't work too hard. Yep. Yeah, nicely said. Is there any last words of advice or tips for those starting out on their reproductive health journey? Uh, I think the sooner the better. I think start your kids young. Um, we do it the opposite way around now. Um, I think we need to, uh, you know, get in and get help as soon as possible. Same with um, gynaecology. Don't sit yeah. back. Uh, early intervention is the key and use a multi-modality approach, not just one yeah. approach. Yeah. 
That's, that's sometimes can be difficult to do. You are really find the right people to work with, don't you? And you start talking about uh, having a multi-modality approach. You do, and sometimes, you know, and like myself, if I can't do something, I've got a team of people that can uh, take up where I'll, things that I can't do. I can't do surgery, but I've got good surgeons I work with or good pelvic floor physios or, you know, people. You just yeah. surround yourself with good people. Which is fantastic to hear. Yeah. Uh, do you have any interesting projects in the Pipeworks at the moment? Because obviously you've done a lot of study you've in, and you're sharing that knowledge back. Have you got any mm-hmm. more projects in the pipeline coming up? Yeah, I have. Um, I'm actually um, um, about to start um, a fertility um, program, like an online program, and also um, I'm looking at um, setting up an endometriosis PCOS and um, infertility uh, sort of website and everything where people can get information with my partner. And fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, that is fantastic, yeah. So these us into, I guess, the obvious question. So how can people find you? So how they... How can they find this information? Where they can where can they connect with you? Um, they can connect with me online through Facebook or through my website, so www.drandrewor.com.au. Um, they can find me on Dr. Andrew Orr on Facebook. Yep. Instagram? Um, um, I, I have got an Instagram account, and I'm still working my way through <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> yeah, me too. You need a PO. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'll be setting up the pages, the uh, infertility uh, experts, the PCO experts, and the endometriosis experts as well. Fantastic. Mm. Well, Dr. Andrew Orr, it's been an absolute pr- uh, pleasure and honour to have you on with your wealth of knowledge. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, obviously, there's places that people can contact you um, and your Facebook page, website, yeah. Yeah. and Instagram. Instagram so, or just telephone us or email. <laughs> have you got a phone number if people yes, want to contact you? Yeah, we've um, 07-3832-8369. So you do practice in Brisbane, but you do Skype consults. So I know I, that. I do obviously. online consults, so I see people from all over the world, interstate, um, yeah, everywhere. Fantastic. It's been so good having you on tonight. Um, you definitely are a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure being part of this tonight. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank You're listening you. to 3ABR, The Wellness Couch, and we're Katarina and Brett Morrison, and we just spoke um, to Dr. Andrew Orr about endometriosis, women's health specialist. And uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Hope you've enjoyed the program. Yeah. You know the bed feels warmer Sleeping here alone You know I dream in colour And do the things I want You think you got the best of me Think you've had the last laugh Bet you think that everything good is gone Think you left me broken down Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger